Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, this week we got one of my favorite people from all of sports, Michael Wilbon from ESPN. Of course, see him on Pardon the Interruption. You see him on NBA coverage for ESPN. This guy is all over the map. He's also super busy these days. He's working on a book called 61 Life Lessons from Papa, On and Off the Court with Chris Paul. And that's coming out in 2022 in June of that year. So a lot going on for Will Bond. 20th anniversary of Pardon the Interruption is going on in October. You probably saw the documentary this week. But a lot happening. Uh, so we'll get to things golf-related as well. Of course, we're going to talk about his golf game, playing with President Obama, uh, running at Tiger Woods on the golf course. This guy has been all around. Uh, he loves the game. So we'll get to that here in just a minute. Before we do, I want to talk to you about Encore Golf. Check out the Vero X1 Golf Ball. I've been trying it recently. Delivers an unprecedented combination of distance, accuracy, and control to go along with feel. And that's what we need totally as well, a feel around the greens. Leverages unique perimeter-weighted technology, maximizes the moment of inertia. Vero X1 will take some of the best golfers' game to an entirely new level. So check it out on EncoreGolf.com. You can get 10% off. You can use my promo code B, the letter B, Clubhouse. And you get 10% off when you order from Encore Golf. And just by means of the introduction, uh, Michael Wilbon, I met him three years ago working at the ESPN offices where I work now in D.C., and I remember I was leaving. I was heading out to the PGA Championship 2018. It was, what, August 2018. It was there at Belle Reve, and I was on my way out the door, and I just introduced myself. I said, Michael Wilbon, Garrett Johnson. I'm going out, and I'm covering the PGA Championship. He's like, what? You're headed to St. Louis right now? Are you kidding me? Oh, man, I'm jealous. i got to go in and do a show. This is crazy. So it was just funny. Like, this guy has covered everything. But yet, you know, he's got uh, he's got his responsibilities with the show, and for one split second, he got to be jealous of my of my calendar. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. Since then, we've uh, talked about golf, of course, here and there in the office uh, when I run into him. Uh, but a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy this here, Michael Wilbon from ESPN on Beyond the Clubhouse. Okay, I'm pleased to be joined by my next guest, Michael Wilbon. You see him, of course, on ESPN's PTI, all over ESPN for NBA coverage. And you've got a book coming up with Chris Paul. You've been a busy guy. Uh, Mike, what's going on today? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Very busy. Maybe too busy, but grateful uh, to Chris Paul and, of course, the network for letting me uh, be all over these platforms. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the word grateful, and I think about it. Everything that you do, anytime we see you do a stand-up at the NBA Finals, we see you on PTI, there is an attitude of gratefulness for what position that you're in in this career that you're in with sports journalism and now as a TV personality reporter. Um, where does that come from, Mike? I'm doing it for my whole adult life and, and knowing that a lot of people would uh, want to trade places with me or just knock me off the perch, and uh, that hasn't <laughs> That hasn't happened. And I, I enjoy what I do. That's the main thing. I enjoy what I do. I've enjoyed it from day one, prepared for it, uh, enjoyed it more than I could have ever um, predicted. And so I, I think it's a pretty simple formula, actually. Nothing complex about it. 
Well, even back to your days at college prep at St. Ignatius in the south side of Chicago, you said you were helping your teachers turn around sentences and rewriting well, sentences. <laughs> I, no, I, I could diagram sentences, something I know, Gary, you're too young to have done that. People, people who are under 55, 60 years old don't understand what diagramming sentences is. Um, that's how that's how several, that's how many generations of us learn the language. Schools have gone in a different direction for teaching. But that's diagramming sentences means something to somebody 60 years old or older. So I was good at that. Luckily, I was good at something because math and science were not it. Well, when we see you there uh, on ESPN doing your stand-ups, doing your reports, your interviews, um, what about your job in PTI as well? we got the 20th anniversary coming up. What fulfills you the most about what you've done over these years? I'm sure there's so many relationships you've built, but what really fulfills Mike Wilbon? The work. The work. The work has not changed. The work long predates PTI. The work goes back to the Washington Post. Um, Covering sports is what I wanted to do, being a reporter and then a commenter, which in print we call a columnist, of course. Um, and now, I don't know what we call it now, uh, people who deliver hot takes, if, 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 you, if that's what you do. Um, so it's, it's the work. The work is fulfilling. That's a good question. It's, that's, and, and, and yes, the relationships go into being able to do the work, building those relationships, sustaining them, um, sometimes with people who are of great public notoriety, not always, uh, off always with people of elite skill with what they do or else we wouldn't be covering them. So, um, yeah. you know, it's just, it's the work. It's, it's doing the work of the people that I've come in contact with being able to be behind the curtain. You know, a, a press pass is a um, allowance behind the curtain and, and to see how it's all done. And so that front row seat is what I've enjoyed. Mm. Well, you know, you've also been the guy that's, you mentioned relationships, putting things into relationships. You've been at sh shoot arounds. You've talked about the importance of just spending time and, and getting to practices early, staying late, whatever you have to do to build those relationships and what you do. And, and to that sense, what would be your advice to some of these younger reporters, you know, in this Twitter 24 seven world? Well, it's stop with hot takes. That's where it <laughs> starts. Stop. You know, your opinion is secondary to the information that forms the opinion. And too many times now, everybody thinks because they have a phone that they're Citizen Kane. They think they're, you know, ready to conquer the world. And yes, technology can help us get to places faster. But uh, if people want to have opinions that matter, and that certainly that would matter to an audience that includes someone like me in my demographic, I got to know you know something. I don't want to, mm. I tell my son all the time, I don't want to just hear your opinion. Why, what's your opinion based on? What's it based on? You know, I read that. Where'd you read it? I heard that. Where'd you hear it? So, Who are you quoting? Yeah. That's right. And so when you can go straight to the source, when you can be at practices and games and in locker rooms and the, the, the pandemic has changed all that even, when you can have that access, access is what helps you form smarter, more in-depth, um, more insightful opinions and judgments, access to people and information. And so that's very simply my uh, advice now. Stop with the hot takes and, right. and, and go learn something. Know something before you give me a hot take. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many out there, so many different personalities that try to get into that. I want to ask you, though, about another passion for you, your son, Matthew. I want to say he's early, uh, 13, right? 13 years 13, old. 13, very good. You, you guys 
both have been playing some golf over these last few years. And I know you got into golf at late age 37, right? Has there been a time, paint us a picture of your favorite moment on the golf course with your son, Matthew. Well, I know that luckily there's a few favorite moments, Garrett. There's a, there's a few. Um, <laughs> I imagine he's beating you at this point, right? No, he's not beating me because he doesn't play enough. He likes <laughs> golf. He doesn't love it. He likes it. Like is not going to translate into much just yet. We'll see if he comes back to it. He'll come back to it. Will he come back to it? Will I even be around when he comes back to it? Um, there's a hole at Columbia, the ninth hole, in which, you know, in his case, he's got to hit – Two shots a drive. Then this is this is two and a half years ago. Maybe maybe might have been might have been late eighteen. It might have been our last round of golf in two thousand eighteen. So he was only ten, and uh, he's got to hit a drive and maybe a hybrid to get to the left hand uh, greenside bunker. And mm -hmm. it's pretty deep, and it's very deep for somebody ten years old. Who at the time was probably five feet tall, maybe, and five one. And I said, let's see if you can get up and down out of this bunker, which is, of course, going to be no. And he takes the sand wedge, and everything's <laughs> a bet. He concentrates so much better when he's betting he can beat his father, like, like most sons. Yeah, And it's a nice, fluffy, perfectly struck, two inches behind the ball, sand wedge to about 12 feet, which is still not an automatic putt for somebody who's 10 years old and doesn't play all that much. And, and I, he said, up and down means I got to make the putt, right? I'm like, yeah, make the putt. Come on. He's like, what, if, what, if I, what if I get down in two? I'm like, no, you got to make the putt. And, of course, he drains the putt in front of people to get up and down on a very – I don't know that I've ever been up and down on nine uh, that, that successfully hitting the perfect sand shot, perfect bunker shot, and the perfect putt. But, you know, there's moments like that. He's, he's you know, he's got a little talent because he knows how to play swing sports, grew up playing baseball. Uh, tennis and enough golf that he's got swing sports. He he can adjust and do that. Um, and I was watching his first birdie at Columbia over water uh, on 16. And I, I I was trying to hide up on the top of the range near the flag. And I didn't want him to see me looking at him. He was taking a lesson from one of our young assistants. And the young assistant waved to me, which I hated because that gave me away <laughs> that I was watching him. Blew your cover. Matthew turns around and sees me, and I'm like, okay, he's going to duff this in the water. It's it over the water, over the bunker, to about three feet of a pen just over the, over the water, mm. or three. And um, I said, you got to make the putt. You still got to make the putt. And he centers the putt, center holds the putt for a birdie, his first birdie that I know of. That was um, summer before the pandemic. So no, maybe, that, yeah, that was 19. Yeah, so he so would have been 11. 19 when he was taking, playing more. But, you know, some of the great moments, too, are, Garrett, are during the pandemic, we spent 100 days in Arizona. Um, and I'm a, a member of, you know, a couple of wonderful places where I'm wearing at Desert Mountain. Um, and he, we got to go up there and play, uh, and Scottsdale National was an honorary member, we got to go, we played nine holes a lot of days. Lunch outside, nine holes. In Arizona, you could do that in March, April, May. And it was starting to get too hot in June when the numbers were going up there. I stayed in June and played. So that was that was very fulfilling to have the kind of time with your, in my case, my son and my brother and nephew. And the four of us went out like every other day, sometimes every day, 
and had lunch outside, played nine holes, and there was nobody within 300 yards of you, much less six feet. So it was a, a great time to sort of have father and son, uncle and nephew, and we did that for four months in Arizona. And something like that's never going to happen again. We're never going to go I through a pandemic. Them, never going to happen. I said, look, I said, you guys are going to look back when you're 50 and they're seven years apart and 57 years old. And you're going to say, do we actually spend that much time with our damn fathers? <laughs> uh, and it's never going to happen again. And so they look at me like, you know, they, they don't, they don't, because they don't understand it. They don't get what I'm talking about. You don't get that now at 13 and even 21, maybe at 21, Jordan gets it. But we did that last year and it was a very rewarding experience at a time when nothing else was rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And you did mention your brother. Of course, you see him there in Chicago. You see him many different places. One of your best friends in life, as, as you said in, in the past. How, how fulfilling is that, that part of it? I guess, what, what's a life lesson you take away from being well, close to a brother? Just the two of us. And there's nothing like brothers. Um, just, just the two of us. So, and now our parents are both gone. Um, so we, you know, and we have, and each one of us has an only son. Um, and each one of us is the godfather also to his nephew, respectively. So, you know, there are close relationships there, uh, to say the least. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say parents, of course, parents understand, of course, all the relationships are unique. Um, but for the four of us, that's a, that's a foursome that we're not going to have as long as we'd like. My brother was probably 42. When his son was born, I was 49. When my son was born, we're not going to have those relationships as long as we'd like them. So you make the most of them while you have them. For sure. Well, when you talk about age, they're 42. 37, you picked up the, the game of golf. You were, uh, the day before your wedding is really when you really got into it in Fairfax, Virginia. Tell us the story here. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, golf wasn't on the menu where I grew up. Um, south side of Chicago, was, it wasn't on the menu in many urban locations. I did not grow up, you know, uh, deprived and impoverished at all. I grew up, you know, um, with two parents who worked and made enough money to put me through the most expensive school in the country at the time, Northwestern, still one of them, with no financial aid. So I was not without. But golf was not about just economic bunching, clustering. It was also about cultural clustering. And that wasn't something that was on the menu where I live. Um, but I got out of, I, you know, I, I, I had to cover a little bit of it as a sports writer. And at the dawn of Tiger, I realized I didn't know enough. I didn't know enough. I could, could I go out and watch a golf tournament and report on it? Of course. Did I know what it felt like? Did I know to flinch if he said I'm taking a wedge instead of an eight iron out from 151 <laughs> with no wind blowing? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. The details, baby. Yeah, the details. So I had decided that I, in order to cover and write about Tiger in any sort of authentic way, I needed to know more. Not about the game and what it felt like to be on a golf course, though, yes, but the culture, you know, um, the culture of it all. What, type, what it felt like for Tiger as a person of color to walk into a range when he was young. It felt different for him because everybody knew who he was at an early age, but it didn't feel as, it didn't feel all that different as he reminded me later on when we talked about race and, and golf. So um, I started, I started playing. I took a lesson the day before the wedding. 
uh, which I kept from my then wife for months because she didn't want to marry a golf fanatic because she was fathered by one. Yeah. And she didn't want to get into that again. Well, so I, I did not, I, I, I never thought I'd be a fanatic. I thought I'd be a guy who learned how to play nine holes and learned how to go out and be social. That's what I thought. I didn't think I belonged to a club. <laughs> I didn't think I would have multiple sets of clubs. I didn't think I would carry them everywhere that I traveled for years, uh, internationally and domestically. I didn't think I'd have any of that. Um, I didn't think I'd devote the amount of attention and resources, money, to golf that I have. But I have. And so I, I, got, I got the bug as often as latecomers do. People who come late to the game like I did in their 30s, late 30s, in my case, 37 years old, they don't, you know, people laugh at us who've been in the game for a long time. They go, oh, my God, another latecomer. Because they know we're going to be fanatical, likely. If, you, if it catches you, if it bites you, you're bit. So, yeah. So um, it was, a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a life-changing decision to start to take lessons and to have it catch on, catch fire in me. And it altered my life's path, uh, which is probably what my girlfriend slash fiance slash wife didn't want when she asked me if I played golf. So um, I'm glad I did it. It's one of the most important things I've ever done. Um, and I hope that Matthew, I hope at some point he loves it and not just likes it. Mm. Yeah. My nephew well loves it. He didn't love it at 15. He didn't love it at 17. Starting about 18 or 9, he loves it. And you know when you can hit a five iron 260 yards? Yeah, you love it. Um, and he's not hes not accomplished. He, he took it up too late to play high school golf, even though the high school coach wanted him to play as a senior. So maybe he's loved it from 17, 17 to 21. So I hope, I hope, I hope it catches Matthew, who's got a better swing than I do. Um, I think he'd be motivated by thinking he could hit it further than me. That's coming soon too. But I'm not going to let him beat me because I'm going to make him work for that. But all those things <laughs> are part of what changes your life. It changes your relationships. It changes your friendships. It changes your, it changes your venue. You know, I live in a golf course community now in Arizona. So it changed, it, it changed my life in ways that I consider all good. And it started a lot of it was with the driving course, Tiger Woods. And I know you've played golf with him in the past and he's been such well, a not with him, character. But I've been on courses with him. The last thing I need where he <laughs> yeah. needs to be to play with him. He's invited me to his events I participated in. Um, yeah. I've walked with him. The old Chevron um, World Challenge and the House of Oaks, yeah. Well, no, it was when he moved it. It was the one in, um, was that his I guess you know what I'm thinking. The one I no, the one I walked with him wasn't at Thousand Oaks. It was at the last course he, the, the, that he had the Tiger Challenge in Southern California. But I don't think it was Thousand Oaks. But anyway, we won't get hung up on golf courses. Um, you know, I joined the club that I joined because of Tiger, um, and it was great to have a front row to some of that and discussion. I'm not one of those guys who was always around him. And who always got to, you know, pick his brain. I got to do that a few times, enough times to really appreciate it and be around him and be thankful that I was invited to participate in a few of his events, congressional, um, in California, um, multiples in each. So yeah, it was, it was great. And it was great to take it seriously enough to not embarrass the hell out of myself. 
That's the takeaway. <laughs> I didn't dump anything. I didn't whip. I didn't shank anything. I didn't hit anybody in the head who was standing too close. If I hit a, a snap hook, I didn't do it. You know, you know, I, I played fairly well. I was, I'll tell this quick story in California um, on a really cool kind of cold day and the 18th hole, this will help identify I'm having one of those senior moments. But on the 18th hole, when you're putting out, you, you're on the green and there's just this huge, it's like a more, it's a steeper version of Columbia's 18th hole in Chevy Chase, Maryland, where you got to look up to see the people who are standing around looking at you, a real stadium feel to it. Yeah. And it was right after a Halloween PTI show where I dressed as Tiger and we wore all red, Classic. black cat, the whole thing. And so I'm putting, I don't know who's up there. I'm not looking. I'm putting out an 18. I'm sure it's for nothing special, but it's a, you know, 18, 20 foot putt that I drain. And then I look up after that, as I'm taking off my cap, probably to shake hands with these guys. And I, then I see Tiger and he's standing there with his arms folded. And he looked down at me and said, if you're going to be me on Halloween, you better make the damn putt, <laughs> which was great. I love that moment of laugh, you know, of him laughing at me, which I deserve. And uh, but it was cool, you know, it was it was fun to, to have that. And um, so, but you no, know, no, I, it's a precious few times I've been I've covered a lot of events that, of course, he was pursuing his greatness in his own world. But to be on the course when it's sort of private and directed. His event is even even cooler in some ways. Mm. And to be a part of really Grant Thornton and, and what you're doing there with that yeah. with golf, how, how does that feel for you? Yeah, well, you know, I've done some of that already. It, it, you know, I give golf a lot of credit. The industry, Jay, Jay Moynihan, the commissioner. Golf doesn't have the pressure from the outside world to diversify that other sports have. Golf and hockey don't have that pressure. Yet, some of the best initiatives I've seen undertaken since George Floyd and since the world has turned and since people have turned an ex examining eye on other industries or people have turned it inward on themselves, golf and hockey have been so stand up. And this clearly is self-driven, right? I'm not saying there's never a critical word, but who's going to criticize hockey? If they don't have that many black players, you can't. I mean, it's, it's foolish and nobody's going to do it because most of the people who will be doing it wouldn't even understand the game anyway because there's not that many of us following hockey. I played growing up, so I do follow. I always have. Um, but golf, the initiative of we're going to be more diverse. We're going to look like the world. That's a hell of an undertaking. It's a hell of a mission. I applaud it. I shouldn't say golf clap. It's standing ovation. And so when Grant Thornton, Grant Thornton asked me about this and the PGA asked me about it, you know, and the Quarter Sisters and there, you know, there's so many people. Morikawa, um, yeah. Morikawa, who's a new face of golf. Uh, Ricky, who's, who's, who's not old, but it's an older face of golf. And I think to some ways, Ricky Fowler is sort of a conscience of golf, right? I mean, Ricky is a guy who just seems to get it. Mm. That the tent is big, everybody come on in. Here's what we're going to do. And I sort of admire him from afar. I don't know him yet other than to say hello. He's a dude I admire, right? Mel Reed is somebody that I've gotten to meet and know a little bit through other friendships, mutual friendships. And she's somebody who's just charismatic as the day is long. Mm -hmm. um, not allowed to play at her father's all-male club growing up. But yet, 
became so good that she could go back there and play to a level that would force them to change that policy. I'm not saying her performances were the only thing, but I, I think Mel's probably very modest about her stature in the game growing. And people have to look at themselves and say, what are we doing? What, really? We're banning women in, 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 at this point in time, in, in 2000, 2010, and 2020? And so there's a lot that can be done to make that tent more friendly, to make it feel more open and welcoming. And I just admire the people who have said, Danielle Kang is one of them also. I admire all of them. I hate to hope I, Matt Wolf, I hope I didn't miss anybody. Um, I probably missed somebody. Um, Cameron Champ, you know, they're saying this game can be more welcoming and bring more people in. We can grow this industry if we are this, if we look like this, act like this, and put our arms around people. Yes. Like, who wants to go against that? And you know what? If somebody's going against it, it's very quiet. There's no backlash. Who wants to be on the other side of a mission undertaken by those people, by the people we just named? Right? Big, big time names, for sure. I mean, you know, and so I, I, don't, I, I said yes to the mission of expanding this content to help expand the mission of the industry and the sport. But I admire them. It's not just helping them. I admire what they're doing who they are, they stood up and said, yeah, count on me. They don't have to do that. Oh. They're young. Their lives are made. They are in a place where there's not going to be much pressure coming from the outside world. But they said, this is the right thing to do. So I, I'm looking forward to working with them later as we continue to put these things together. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to there. there uh, we just had the Ryder Cup finish up, and there was a moment, you talked about it on PTI uh, on Monday, Brooks and Bryson had that little hug there in front of the press. What it, you said it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. I, I, what, what, what do you make of that? It doesn't. Their 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 conduct will, is what will mean something. It, it means something. I don't mind the rivalry. Like I, you know, golf is my last sport to become fanatical about. The first ones were always a little bit more contentious, right? There's no equivalent <laughs> right. in golf of the bat flip. Baseball, my first love. All right. So all the other sports are more contentious in the moment or can be, right? And so I don't have a problem with Bryson and Brooks. I, I have no problem if they didn't like each other at all. No problem, none. It's fine. I think that Bryson, who I do not root for, I think he's great for golf. Not good, great. I, I'm, I'm more of a Brooks guy. Um, I don't think it's bad. I don't think they needed to hug. That they did hug is fine. But if they wanted to keep arms distant from each other and, and sort of, you know, snarl at each other, I'd have been fine with that too. So I didn't need, I don't need, you know, to sing Kumbaya and hold hands on a golf course if people are legitimate rivals. And, and there seem to be legit to me. Mm. Well, you mentioned Brooks being a Brooks guy. Um, what did you make of his kind of run in with the ref there where he dropped a little F-bomb at him, said, hey, I might break my F and wrist if I hit this shot. I mean, what was with that? It's comp competitive. And, and we don't want to we don't want to have a boom mic trail me on a golf course at any time or even on the range. So I, I you know, I am not one who believe I believe boom mic should be banned. I believe people on courts and diamonds and courses should say whatever they want to say. And you mm. run the risk if you've got a boom mic of picking up something you don't want to transmit to your listeners. That's on you, not on them. Yep. Two minutes left. I've got two more quick questions. Um, the most 
memorable round of golf. This is from Kev Lutt on, on Twitter. Most memorable round of golf, where and with whom for Mike Wilmot? I played too many rounds of golf. I was playing about <laughs> 70 rounds of golf a year a few years ago. Now I don't do that anymore. I mean, I, I, I'm going to say, it's like I have to say, it's not like anybody's going to make me say it. I played more than a few times with President Barack Obama. Any of those might be the favorite round. <laughs> I have a photo of him handing me $11 after a, a, at the end of a round at TPC Potomac. Potomac, yeah. I think that's where we were. 11 bucks. I have the flag and I have the 11 bucks, I think, taped to it. Because you want to bet with him or? I want to bet. He, I was better than the president then. I am not now. <laughs> I am not now. I could just, I'd be asking for strokes from him. Back then when he was the president, he couldn't practice. All he could do was come out and play. It's just so enjoyable. Just the company, um, someone who I, speaking of admire, admire as much as I admire him personally, right? Forget the political arena personally first. Then, then yes, politically. Two Chicago guys talking about stuff that nobody else would particularly want to hear. I don't give a damn if they want to hear it. That's what we were talking about. Um, so that means Bears, Cubs, White Sox, Bulls. I don't know how much of a Blackhawks guy he is. Um, and all the people that populate those those jerseys. Mm. So we we those were those have been great rounds. It's not the last one. He's a member at the club that Tony and I are members of, Columbia Country Club in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> great club. Yeah, and so a plug for the, the president and for, for the club. But there have been some rounds, man. I, I mean, I've, I've been so fortunate to play with a lot of you know famous people. I mean, I played in a pro-am with Nick Watney. I'm going to start forgetting people. I played, in so, I played in a lot of pro-ams 10 years ago, and I was a much better player. Sometimes just playing with my son. I was I, I didn't have a hole in one. Matthew was seven. And he drove the we, we said, Dad, I want to tee off one hole per round with you. One tee box every round, same tee box. Right? He said same game. I have a picture of it. I have a, a video of it. So we tee off from a tee box is 147 yards. So I'm at the time hitting an eight iron. He's got to hit his driver. He's seven. And he hits the driver. And it skips over some rough and goes up on the green and it's rolling right down to the cup. I have no hole in one in my life at this point. And the people who can see it, who are standing higher, and this is at uh, Outlaw at uh, Desert Mountain, they can see the ball rolling toward the hole with momentum and they are going crazy. And loving and, it. And it stopped about, I can have to look at the video, it stopped about three feet from the cup, just stopped. It ran out of inertia. It stopped <laughs> and he didn't get the hole in one. And, you know, I, I, it, it's mixed feelings. I mean, who wouldn't want his seven-year-old son to have a hole in one mm. with a driver, no less. But, but at the same time, I didn't have a hole in one. I didn't want the little pipsqueak having a hole in one before me. So it stopped. He missed the putt. I made him putt it out and he missed it. It was a big downhill, you know, kind of a breaker. And so he, he, he's he got about four or five close, but he hasn't had one. I said, Matty, you can now get like your old man to 55 years old without a hole in one. That could happen to you, even though you were close at six or seven. I guess he was seven. So anyway, I've had a lot. I've had rounds. I played with Ken Griffey Jr., who has the most beautiful swing of anyone, of anyone. Oh, so as well, yeah. 
The baseball <laughs> swing is the same as the golf swing. It's the most beautiful swing you've ever seen. You know, I'm missing people, which is going to be sad. I'm going to think about this after we hang up about rounds of golf. I've been lucky enough to play with people. I play with people who've had holes in one. I've had in my group. I've I've played in, in just stunningly beautiful places. Played at Whistling Straits, where mm. I missed a hole in one where I hit the flag, uh, and dropped right down and stayed there two inches from. And that was on of course. The, on the uh, seven the meadow. The meadow course is it river, river and meadow in Whistling Straits. I think it was meadow. Okay. And I haven't I didn't play the Irish course. It was barely finished when I was there. But there's a lot of there's a lot more golf to be played. I hope. <laughs> and uh, and I and I, I got I need to go the other way. I got as low as an eleven, eight point something index, as eleven handicap. My goal once I started playing was to get to a ten. I didn't officially get there. It's fine. Now I'm playing up to about a twenty, and I'd like to get back and get in golf shape and start playing again and get back to the point where I'll just close with this. Um, Matthew said to me one day, fairly recently in the last year or so, Dad, why are you taking lessons? Tanya Tare, who people will recognize as yep. now the world, the renowned trick shot artist. She's more than that. She's an accomplished player. Tanya's my teacher. And we work a lot together on some stuff and play a lot together. And Matthew said, Dad, why are you taking so many lessons from Miss Tanya? I said, so I can still kick your butt at <laughs> 16. And he looks at me, he goes, or 12. I go, okay, Mr. Smartass. It was 12 at the time. So when I hear from his own teacher uh, at... at, at uh, Columbia? No, because um, we're all, he's out he, in Arizona. He's got more chance to play golf. Jennifer Tucker uh, at um, Desert Mountain. Um, I hear that he, there's some drives that he's hitting, you know, 225. And he's not big. He hasn't grown yet. And it's yeah. like, okay, I, then I need to, you know, I need to get back out there and stay ahead of him because I'd like to make him go to tears before he beats me. Yeah. And that like a father or old father, you got to go to tears. It's going to hurt you before you beat me. No, that's great stuff. Hey, I'm going to let you get out of here on this. 20 years of PTI and in a couple sentences, how special has this been? Is it hard to believe? It's not hard to believe once we started. Once we started, I didn't think we were going to be yanked off. I didn't. And the show kept growing. The ratings kept going. And even when the ratings changed in the world and people started to unplug and the cord, the, the, the cut the cord generation came along, the ratings were still higher than everybody else's ratings, relatively speaking, right? So um, I didn't, I, as I say in the, in the documentary about us, we're, we're pretty cocky about what we do. We know we know sports content. We know we know how to write and talk about sports. We've known that long before PTI started. I didn't know that anybody would care about the show that is packaged as part of the interruption. There are plenty of shows that have been good that haven't been consumed enough to stay on the air. I didn't know if anybody would watch and like us. I knew we'd be good at it. Those are two separate things. So, and after a while, it became evident that people liked the show. Then no, I didn't. I thought it would last. Um, I love doing it. I love doing it, and wouldn't. I'm not ready to walk away from it. Who knows? They'll probably take. You know, there's a there's a show you wouldn't be familiar with where they took a cane and they pulled people off stage. Chuck Barris, and they may do that to us one day. We could just see you see our our necks just be yanked out of the 
out of the studio as they say enough of you. And I, you know, after 20 years, that's anybody's prerogative. But right now, we still do a better show than anybody trying to do that. Talk about sports in a general nature. And yep. so, you know, I'll go on with that today. I'll go on with that bit of cockiness today. That's it. I'm going to let you get ready for your show. Great stuff, Mike. It's been a pleasure getting to know you more here on Beyond the Clubhouse, buddy. Garrett, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, big thanks to Michael Wilbon for coming on the pod this week. Really enjoyed some of the stories. Uh, President Obama, of course, Tiger Woods, a lot of good ones there. Good insight, too, on Brooks and Bryson coming off the Ryder Cup. A lot of videos you'll be seeing here, uh, some of the best of on social media, of course, on Twitter, at Johnson Garrett, and on Instagram, at Garrett Johnson Golf. We're going to post some of, you know, some of the fun stories there you heard from Wilbon, some of the fun takes as well. So, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it here, and we'll catch up again soon on Beyond the Clubhouse.